Amen. Well, last week, if you remember, I preached a message called You Are a Weapon, and I talked about how we had our conference two weeks ago, and the guest speaker, Pastor Joe Warner, said that my wife and I are blacksmiths, and I'm not very familiar with what a blacksmith was, so I had to go look it up. And as I was looking it up, the Lord just began to download stuff to me like crazy, and so it became a series, or really just a two-week deal. So we're going to be going into week number two of that today about how you are a weapon. But this, this morning, the second part of this is titled Prepped and Ready. Prepped and ready. Apparently, real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. Thank you that you're here. Father, I pray that you would allow me to just deliver this in the way you want to deliver. None of myself, all of you. <clears throat> I pray that everybody in this room would leave this place changed, wanting and knowing you more. I give you the praise and honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If somebody could grab me a water, that would be absolutely phenomenal. But I want to go to Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1 through 3, just like last week. Isaiah 49, 1 through 3. It said, listen to me, O coastlands, listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me. He has made me a polished shaft, and in his quiver, he has hidden me. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Now... you remember, last week I discussed how this is speaking about Jesus, that he was a weapon, that he was called from the womb, and his mouth was made like a sharp sword, and if you read in Revelation, it actually says in chapter 19 that a sword comes out of his mouth, so that's one of the ways we know this is talking about Jesus, and it says, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Last week we learned three things, just like when they would make swords, they would have to find the metal. They'd find it in these dark, nasty places. So the first thing we learned last week is that you were pulled from the miry pit. You were pulled from the mess. Nobody saw value in you. Nobody thought that who you were could be anything spectacular, but Jesus did because that's what Jesus does. So he pulled you out of the pit. And then he takes us out of the pit and he sticks us in the fire and he, he molds us and he makes us pliable and he, he takes things out of us, burns stuff away. Then he sticks us, if you remember, he puts us in the, the vat of cool water or cool oil to harden us. And that's where we left off last week. But that's, that's just the beginning of the process. That's when the, the weapon's being shaped and it's being like put in the form that it's supposed to be. But how many of you know that it's really disappointing to have a dull knife? You ever had a dull knife before? It's the worst. When you need a good knife and your knife is not good. It is, it's just the worst thing possible. Because you obviously either need to stop and go sharpen this one or find another knife that's ready for it. And so this morning I'm going to give you three things coming off of last week that happened after you've been put in the fire and after you've been cooled and after you've been pulled from the pit, what happens next? Because this thing is a process, right? Our lives are a process. The moment we give our lives to Jesus, he starts working in us to make us more like him, to make us more into his image and to make us usable for his kingdom. And a lot of times we just take the approach that when I say usable for the kingdom, it means that we're just nice, good, calm, civil quiet, sweet people, which, yes, because we are supposed to love everybody. However, we are at war with an enemy who hates us, 
And we're not called to sit quietly and passively and watch him wreck our homes and our marriages and our finances and our families and our cities and our nation. We're not supposed to just be quiet about that, which is why I'm doing this, these two messages on being a weapon. Because in your purpose, remember this, in the purpose that God has created for you, part of that purpose is to destroy the works of the enemy. In some way, shape, or form, it's to destroy the works of the enemy. So what, what, what happens first? But before we do this, I have to give you one, one little hint. We cannot move, you cannot move into this next phase of the process without humility. Now hear me out. James 4, 6 says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We cannot move into this next part of, of what we're going to get in today without humility. Because in order to do this, you've got to be submitted. You've got to be in a place where he's in charge and you're not. You've got to come to a place to where you're able to say, I don't want to do that, but Jesus wants me to, so I will. And a lot of people, they want to get pulled out of the pit and, and they want to do something for the Lord. But when it gets specific, when it gets detailed, when it gets personal, they're like, eh, I'm not sure if I'm good with that. So before we move forward, understand that you cannot move into this process this morning without humility. Thank you for catching that. Number one, first thing that requires to be prepped and ready is you got to be sharpened. You got to be sharpened. Proverbs 27, 17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so a, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Listen carefully. You can have the, we'll talk about a sword for a minute. You can have the right shape. You can have the right length. And you can have the right solidity, the right strength in your, in your making. But if you're not sharp, nobody wants to use you. Why would you want a dull sword? Sure, you can hit the bad guy in the head with it. But no, if, I, if I'm going to battle with a sword, I want that thing to be as sharp as it possibly can be because I want it to be the best weapon it could be. However, sharpening has a process. How many have ever sharpened a knife before? Right? Well, when you sharpen a knife, obviously you need a sharpening stone. You need some other type of metal to sharpen your knife with. So a lot of times it might not be the exact same substance that's sharpening it, but it's another form of metal. It's another makeup, some very solid substance. And you know what you do? You take it, if it's the sharpening stone, you slide that knife at a certain angle, and then you flip it and you slide it the other way. And then you flip it back and forth. My dad had one that he would stand up. It had a little stand, and you would, it was a little easier. You could, it was like, helped people like me who wasn't very good at it. You could just bring the knife through on an angle like this on either side. You never had to hold the stone, and it would sharpen the knife. Because you see, what happens is when you're sharpening a blade, as you're passing it over that stone, what it's doing is it's slowly and very subtly removing or shaving off parts of the metal. So it's shaving off pieces of that blade, and that's what's making the point more refined, which is therefore giving it the edge, which makes it sharper. But the blade does not get sharper without parts of it being removed. You will never be refined into the weapon that God wants you to be without parts of you being removed. Why? Because there are parts of you that do not line up with who he is, and he needs us to look like him. So as he's sharpening us, it's very subtle. I mean, I've never even seen shards of a knife from being sharpened. It's so subtle. It's so small and minute, but it makes such a big difference. And the longer you do it, the more refined that blade gets. And the longer you do it, the more sharp that knife becomes, and it becomes more dangerous. 
But that same stone that you're using to sharpen it, the same knife sharpening technique, whatever you're using, if the angle, this will preach if you catch it, if the angle of the blade is wrong, the stone is right, the motion could be right. But if the angle of the blade is wrong, instead of sharpening the blade, you'll actually put dents in it, you'll chip it, and you'll make the knife uneven on one side or the other, and then you're constantly trying to make up for it, and eventually you run out of the blade. So if you're holding that sharpening stone, and you, I mean, what happens if you hit a knife on a stone just straight up like that? You begin to chip on it. It all comes down to the angle. <clears throat> well, how many of you know that when we're talking uh, the, the English language, us Americans, we use different words for different reasons. And one word for angle, like I didn't see it from that angle. You ever had, you talking with your spouse and you have a disagreement and you say, oh wait, babe, I never saw it from that angle before. Well, the same word as I never saw it from that perspective before. Hear me out. Just like that sharpening stone, the stone can sharpen the knife, but it can also ruin the knife. God is going to send things into our lives to sharpen us. They are going to either sharpen us or ruin us, depending upon the angle that we take. Depending on the angle that you take, the perspective that you take. Pastor Chris, what do you mean? Okay. I'm serving the Lord. I'm loving Jesus. I'm tithing. I'm doing my thing. Bam, I lose my job. Can't find a job in my field, so I got to move and go somewhere else. I start another company, and I face a $20,000 a year pay cut. My bills get flipped upside down. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's an absolute panic. Why are you doing this to me? God, why is this happening to me? This isn't fair. I'm righteous. I'm duped because of you. I'm living right. My motives are right. My heart is right. Why is this happening to me? It's not fair. Look at, what, look at that person. That person don't even love you. Look at the success they're having. <clears throat> Psalm 73 says, whoa, look at, the, look at the success or the wealth of the wicked. David had a, a hard time. He had a struggle with looking at the wicked people prospering. I've told you the story. I walked in Wendy's one day for lunch. I'm working at Cash America making $9 and like 11 cents an hour. And I walk in and there's this guy that ends up buying my food. He's a construction worker who I know is dealing. And he pulls out, it had to be two grand in hundreds. And he had to flip through the hundreds to find the small enough bill to pay for my chicken nuggets. And I can remember, I'm, I thanked him and I was furious, not at him, I was furious at God. Because here I am living right, serving Jesus, doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm trying to save the money to marry Caitlin and buy a house and like move on with my life. And I'm struggling because I made dumb decisions not finishing college, all this kind of stuff, whatever. And I'm angry and I'm saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Yet my job was what God was using to sharpen me, but my angle was wrong. My perspective was wrong. And rather than being mad and recognizing that I was the source of the tension and the problem in my life, I blamed it on everything else. Because that's just easier. Why would, I ever, why would we ever want to be at fault? Like, think about it this way. Unless, like, one time I got in a wreck. Y'all heard me tell the story. I totaled my dad's truck. It was bad. I did a shell mat stop. You know, like the, where you like tap the brakes so the lights come on, but you don't actually stop. 
right, I did that, right there on Jeannie and DeLille, and I did a Shell Met stop, and I just crushed the side of this minivan. It was bad, right? And when I got out the car, the cop said, what happened? I said, I was coming through the stop sign, and, 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 and she was just flying down the street. I knew good and well whose fault that accident was, but I didn't want to admit that it was my fault because why would I want to be the fault? You ready for a secret? Most of the time, it's our fault. Most of the time, the vast majority of the time, it's our fault. And we're trying to be sharpened and we want to be used by God, but God, I don't, I don't like this process. Duh. Because he's trying to remove things from you. He's trying to sharpen you. And the only way to sharpen you is to take parts of you that he doesn't need away. I hated working at Cash America. But what I didn't realize is that God was using Cash America to shave away my prejudice. To shave away my arrogance. He was using this place that I despised going to sharpen me. But it took me four and a half years to learn a lesson I probably could have learned in two. Because I refused to let him adjust the angle right. I refused to let him show me what he was doing. I, instead of saying, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? I should have been saying, what are you trying to do in me? Because as soon as you switch from why is this happening to what are you doing in me, that's when God can change the perspective. That's when God can change the angle and the sharpening begins to make sense and the sharpening begins to work. But if we're not careful, the same situation that's meant to sharpen us will destroy us. It's all about the angle we take. Amen? You got to understand, I want to give you a scripture on this too. Genesis 50 verse 20. This is the one I really want to hit. The next two points aren't as, as heavy. Well, maybe, yeah, we'll see. Genesis 50, verse 20. But as for you, this is Joseph talking to his brothers. Let me give you a 30-second recap. Joseph, coat of many colors, Joseph, that Joseph. He gets sold into slavery by his brothers. He ends up in Egypt. He's bought by a man named Potiphar. He immediately becomes the head of Potiphar's house because the favor of God was upon him. Potiphar's wife thinks he's cute, wants to get busy with him. He's like, no, I don't want to do anything like that. That's crazy. And he runs. She steals his jacket. Say, hey, he tried to have his way with me. Potiphar has him thrown in jail. He ends up in prison, but because the favor of God's on his life, he ends up top of the jail, and then he ends up before Pharaoh, and he ends up being second in charge of the entire nation and empire of Egypt and saves them from a massive famine. That's Joseph in like 32 seconds. I suggest reading Genesis 37 through 50 to get the better, you know, version of the story. But here he is at the end. He's standing up, and his brothers have no food. They come from Israel. They don't know he's alive, and he shows up in front of them. And this is what Joseph tells him. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about it as it is this day to save many people alive. You meant evil for me, but God meant it for good. See, Joseph, it's a lot easier to say that at the end of the process, looking back at it, right? It's a lot easier for me to stand here and tell you all God did for me while I worked at Cash America right now because I'm no longer working at Cash America. Go talk to Chris in 2010. Chris in 2010 was a miserable individual when it came to what he did for a living. I hated it. 
because I couldn't see it. The, 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 the most amazing part of the story of Job for me is that Job never lost this perspective. Joel never lost the angle. Joel, Job stayed, Joseph, I don't know why I keep throwing these names in there. Joseph stayed sharpening. He stayed at the right angle. He was being sharpened in the proper manner. Hear me out. Having the right perspective or angle doesn't remove the pain or difficulty of the situation. Having the right perspective and angle of the situation prevents us from aborting the process prior to the victory. It's not going to remove the pain. It's still going to hurt. It's still going to be miserable because parts of you are being shaved away. Things you once cared about, you won't. Ready? Things that used to offend you, don't. I could preach a whole message right here on the things that used to offend you that don't anymore. Why? Because you were sharp. It was sharpened away. So the first one is sharpening. The second one is the most underrated part of the entire process is cleaned. A weapon's got to be clean. It's got to be clean. When I worked at Cash America, um, we used to take in firearms and one of the things we had to do is every time we would take, bring in a firearm, we'd have to open the barrel. Whether it was a crack, open it. We'd have to slide the chamber open. We'd have to find a way to look down the barrel of the gun, pistol and rifle, shotgun, whatever, and shine a light at the bottom to look at the condition of the barrel. Because if the barrel had corrosion on the inside, we wouldn't take the weapon. Because you can't trust the shotgun. I mean, I don't want to shoot one that's got massive holes all over and corrosion all up on the inside of the barrel. And what that's a sign of is that's a weapon that's been fired a bunch but not cleaned all that much. Because, see, when the weapon was being made, it's being formed, and it's, all the impurities are being burned away. But the moment that the weapon comes out of the fire, or out of the cooling, and it begins being sharpened, and then it gets set on the side, or it even starts being used, it begins to pick up dirt again. It begins to pick up residue. It begins to pick up just mess from being used. But the problem is that mess that isn't cleaned becomes corrosion. And corrosion damages the, the stability and the strength of the weapon and makes it unusable. I remember this guy brought in this, I mean, this gorgeous, brand new Browning automatic shotgun. This thing was, I mean, looked impeccable. And he's like, hey, I, I want to sell this shotgun. I'm kinda, I'm, I got to give up duck hunting, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, all right, cool. And so I saw the chamber open and put the light in. The, in. the inside of the barrel looked like it had leprosy. I mean, from one end all the way to the bottom, it was just nothing but rust and corrosion. Come to find out, the guy never cleaned the barrel. He cleaned the outside of the gun, never cleaned the inside. See, you can look great. You can have the parts. Your social media can look Christian. Your Sunday morning participation in worship can look Christian. But if you're not clean, God can't use you. He can't. And hear me out. He understands that we will accrue dirt. He understands this. Y'all remember in the Bible, this is even in my notes. Y'all remember in the Bible when it's the Last Supper and Jesus goes to wash their feet and Peter's like, you out of your mind, you ain't washing my feet. Remember that? Remember what Jesus says? Jesus says, no, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter says, if you're going to wash my feet, wash my whole body. And Jesus says, that's not necessary. Why? Because, see, when I give my life to Jesus, he cleanses me from sin. But I still got to wash my feet. Why? Because I'm living in a dirty world and I'm going to pick up junk every now and then. And I got to stay in a position of being cleaned. I got to stay in a position of being right. Continually being 
clean. Psalm 51, verse 10. I love this verse. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Do you understand what he just prayed in verse 11? Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't tell me your actions don't have consequences. Don't tell me that I can do what I want, live how I want, and God's just going to just keep lovey-dovey all over me. No, he's not. It doesn't work that way. His grace is sufficient and he will forgive you, but God is not going to put his anointing on something filthy with sin. It's not going to happen. And so he says, do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of, my salva- of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. I love how David says in verse 13, then, after you've done all this other stuff, then I'll teach transgressors your ways. Hear me out. Different seasons unlock different tests and temptations, Right? For example, you cannot be tempted to commit adultery on your spouse until you have a spouse. If you come from from poverty, you can't be tempted with making money your idol until you get the opportunity to start making money. You won't be tempted with arrogance until you've done something successful that you can brag about. Different seasons unlock different temptations and unlock different tests. That's why we have to stay being cleaned. Because you might have passed and gotten everything you were supposed to get out of this one season, but then you get married and there's a whole nother group of offenses and temptations and mindsets that show up. And then you start having kids and a whole nother set of offenses and mindsets show up. I'm pretty positive that Caitlin and I got in one argument before we had kids as a married couple. One. It's because I wanted to buy a boat. That's it. That's why we got in an argument. Three and a half years, one argument. Had kids for a couple, it was one argument an hour for a little while. So we figured it out. Why? Because we stepped into a new season. And when I moved from just being newlyweds and being a married couple into a season, now I've got kids, now it changes and the enemy had more things to work with. So the reason we have to stay clean and being cleaned by the Holy Spirit is because every time I move to a new place in life and a new season in life, there's new temptations and there's new offenses and there's new things that show up in my life and I've got to stay being cleaned. Why? Because... It's really hard to win someone to the Lord from your office when your office has labeled you the judgmental Christian. It's really hard to be used by the Lord when you haven't been refined and sharpened and cleaned by him. Because different places that you go have different tests. How many of you guys ever, some of you aren't gonna get this, some of you are gonna know exactly what I mean. How many of you ever played Super Mario Brothers? The old Super Mario Brothers, everybody like 45 and under is like, yes, revival. And then the younger people are like, what is that? Y'all video games have no clue. Anyway, how many of y'all remember the bad guys in Mario, Super Mario, right? You got the Koopa Trooper guys, right? The turtles with the shell on their back, right? 
And when you jumped on them, they like went in their shell and then you could jump again and they run off, right? Then you had the Woombas. They was like that weird looking rock triangle thing that would just kind of waddle around, right? Well, when you go play Super Mario World, I actually just did this. The kids got a Switch for Christmas and I downloaded the Super Nintendo like variety pack. Best purchase I've made in a long time. And I went and played Super Mario World the other day to, to test this part of the message. It was sermon prep, babe. I'm telling you, it was sermon prep. When you play in Super Mario Brothers, you get to level one, and there's the Koopa Troopa, and he's got the shell. And he got the Woomba, and he just kind of waddles. But if you jump from level one to level 40, you just walk into this new world, them Koopa Troopas are throwing hammers, and the Woombas are flying. And you're like, what happened to you guys? No, well, there was 39 levels that you would have progressed through and you would have watched as the enemies got more complicated as you went. But because we like to try and skip processes because we like fast food Christianity and we want to skip processes, we wonder why. Man, I wanted to be a life group. I didn't realize the devil was doing all of this. No, because you skipped the process. The devil's, right, when you first get saved, he's coming at you. People think it's so hard when you first become a Christian. It's not necessarily hard, easy when you first become a Christian, but it is simple. He just wants you being who you used to be. That's it. That's all he tries to get you to do is to go back to what you left. But you start walking after him. You start making some progress in your Christianity. That's when he starts getting creative with the temptations. And the next thing you know, what used to just walk around with a turtle shell is now throwing hammers. And you're like, what's going on with this? Then they got the one Koopa Troop that like becomes magic and like does all kind of crazy stuff. See, that's like level 50. But if you don't go through the process, you're not ready for the enemy later on. So we have to stay cleaned. We have to stay submitted and stay in the process. So we gotta be sharpened. We have to be cleaned. And this last one is we have to be protected. Sharpened, cleaned, and protected. A sword belongs in a sheath. A gun belongs in a gun case. Why? Because it protects it. It's that simple. It protects it. An unprotected weapon is not dangerous. I mean, it is dangerous and may not be able to be used. When I was younger, mom, don't get mad at me. When I was younger, what? No, it's not. I mean, no, it's definitely not new. It was when I was younger, so it's not new. <laughs> but um, y'all have heard me talk about how my dad was, was a hunter. And um, this story's hilarious. Anyway, and we had our house. You could walk in our house. There was this little foyer. We had a piano, our living room, the hallway, and then the kitchen. And because my dad was a PI, he would get up at like 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and go to work. So in, and he never had an office. So instead of like putting all his stuff away neatly and he would just need it again five hours later, he would literally do what every middle school kid does and like walk in the door and just drop everything by the foot of the piano and then go do what he had to do. Well, when hunting season rolls around, this area also became his hunting prep area. So you'd have all the... PI work and gear and all the hunting gear like piled up in this one area and 
I assume you ladies understand that that would frustrate you, right? <laughs> well, one day, I'm in my room, minding my business, you know, whatever I was doing. Mom and dad were disagreeing about something. I don't know what it was, couldn't hear. All I remember is my mom is leaving to go somewhere, and I hear her yell, and pick up this stuff in the middle of the living room. And I hear, well, I don't know what the goof was. So I come out the door, and my mom is walking out the front door, and my dad is trying to grab her, like to keep her from leaving, because I guess they were still talking. And he goes to grab her, and he accidentally grabs her hair. Well, 12-year-old me sees dad grabbing mom hair, and I just remember like running up. I like threw him up against the piano. We about to fight, dude. I'm like, what is going on? What are you doing? He's like, it was an accident. I'm like, what happened? She threw my rifle. And I went, you did what? <laughs> Fast forward three weeks. It's open a week in a deer season. Me and my dad are hunting together on this stand. And my dad is still to this day the best shot I've ever seen. And I'll say that uh, just because he's my dad, seriously was the best shot I've ever seen. And we're on this stand, and it's a stand overlooking this big old marsh area. And two deer jump up, a doe and a, and a spike. And they're walking towards the edge of this canal. And my dad says, hey, when the doe crosses, shoot the doe. I'll shoot the spike on the other side. Okay, great. Doe swims, crosses, bow, shoot, and doe down. He shoots. Bam! Misses. This is 45 yards away. Misses. And he, he literally goes, shoots again. Bam! Misses again. The poor deer just gets in the water and swims. He reloads again. He goes to shoot again. I'm like, let me shoot. No. That's what he says. No. Shoots again. Bam. Misses again. I'm like, before it gets away, would you let me shoot? He's like, no. He shoots. Bam. He empties his gun and misses the deer 45 yards away. Meanwhile, 12, whatever, 13-year-old Chris thinks this is hysterical. Because this is Superman missing 45 yards away. So, of course, he's out of bullets. And as he's reloading, he's saying, don't you shoot that deer. What do you think I did? Click, click, boom, deer dead. And I'm ragging on him the whole time. And about five minutes later, I hear him go, it's because she threw my gun. We go back to the camp. He sets up a target 25 yards away with a high-powered rifle. He wasn't even hitting the paper. The gun was so off. And we're sitting there eating lunch, and he says, she's lucky that wasn't a big buck. <laughs> because when the weapon isn't protected and not cared for and not treated properly, it looks like it can do the job. But when you go to use it, it's not able to fulfill its purpose. So not only do you have to be sharpened, not only do you have to be cleaned, but you have to be protected. Pastor Chris, how am I protected? Thank you for asking. The first way we're protected is by the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 says that. Put it up for me. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Notice how it says that he will guide you. It doesn't say that he will guide your pastor and your pastor will guide you. It doesn't say he will guide your life group leader and your life group leader will guide you. It says he will guide you 
and direct you. You have access to have a relationship, daily conversations, hourly conversations with the Holy Spirit. And he will lead and guide you. He will protect you. What do you mean by that, Pastor Chris? The Holy Spirit will say, hey, don't do this today. Okay. Hey, go do this. Okay. He will lead you and he will guide you. But if you don't know his voice because you don't spend time with him, you're going to miss out on his direction and his protection. The second way that he protects us is by the word. Psalm 119, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? I'm, when I was youth pastor and I thought this was just a youth ministry issue and I've turned out that it is not. It is a people issue. That there are things that this book says in declarative sentences, very plain and simple. People don't listen to it. It causes problems and they don't know why. And it is, I do it too. So it's not just you people, it's we people. But that frustrates me. When I, it frustrates me when I do it. Right? When, when in Psalms 40 it says, My soul follows harder to thee early in the morning will I rise up and seek thee. I do not do well at the early in the morning will I rise part. I don't. But there have been many times where the Lord has woken me up at 4.35 o'clock in the morning and I'm like, psych, back to sleep. And then guess what happens? I wake up and there was a crisis at 7.30 that had I been up when I was supposed to, I would have been in my word and prayed up and ready to go. But because I didn't listen to him and I didn't submit to the word, I wasn't prepared for what he was trying to do in my life. His word will protect you. People always say Christianity is full of rules. Christianity is not full of rules. Christianity has boundaries, very different things. And if you don't think that boundaries or borders are important, go down to El Paso, Texas and cross the border into, I believe it's Tijuana. You don't think borders are important. El Paso has one of the lowest crime rates in the United States. Tijuana has one of the highest crime rates in Mexico. All it is is a border. There's a river, the Rio Grande, it's a river, that's it. Just a border. Well, Pastor Chris, why, why are all these rules? No, you can do whatever you want. You, all these freedoms in the United States just don't cross that border. The word gives you boundaries. The word gives you instructions on how we should live our lives. But the problem is, is we don't agree with them. So we cross borders and we cross boundaries, get messed up and then wonder why God didn't protect us. He did, you just didn't listen. He will protect us by his word. And this third one, this is the one, nope, like the first two, everybody's like, yeah, that's true. I can read my Bible and I can pray and get with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's good. That's amen. Hallelujah. That still puts it on me. Number three, people don't like this one. Number three, we're protected by accountability. We're protected by accountability. James 5.16 says that confess your sins, your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I preached a sermon years ago called The Power of Confession. It's on YouTube if you want to go find it. And 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Say forgive. Forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 5, 16 says, confess your trespasses one to another that you may be healed. Not forgiven, healed. Why? 
Because God is the one that forgives, but there's a healing that takes place when I sit down with Raph and I say, I'm struggling with this. And Raph says, oh, I've struggled with that too. But I'm gonna pray with you and I'm gonna stand with you and we're gonna get through it together. There's a healing that happens. The enemy, listen carefully, the enemy wants to isolate you in your weaknesses. The enemy wants to isolate you in your sin, isolate you in your regret, isolate you in the things that you're ashamed of so he can eat you alive with it. But the moment that you come sit down with me and you say, Pastor Chris, I struggle with this. I did too. I did too. Really? And you're the pastor? Yeah, I'm a human. That's what happens. We're flawed. We're messed up. But I confess it to somebody. I let somebody speak into my life. I give them access into my life. And all of a sudden, the enemy doesn't have as much power over me anymore. Because the more stuff I bring to the light, the less stuff that's in the darkness for him to fool with. So it's through accountability. Now, how do I do that? The way we do it here is in life group. That's how we do it. We get in life group. And sometimes my favorite part of doing a life group, the best one, right? Best one. Best one. Best one. I'm the pastor. I say it's the best one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, my favorite part is when I'm doing group and I watch the other guys ministering to each other without me. When I get to sit back and watch, we're doing the purple book, right? And we've been doing it longer than the rest of you guys. So we're, doing purple, we're in like chapter seven this week because it took us six months to do six chapters. Um, our guys like to talk, okay? Anyway, and we'll be asking questions. And what I love is when like a guy will ask a question and four guys in the room have answers to the question and all of them are good and all of them are right. And I can like take a potty break. It's fantastic. Why? Because they're not all coming to me as the pastor. They're not all coming to me to get the answer or coming to me to get help or coming to me to get counsel. No, they found other people that they can open themselves up to and confide in and be held accountable with. And all of a sudden, now the guilt they had is not that bad anymore. The shame they were walking in is not that bad anymore. They're encouraged and they walk out with their head held up. Why? Because when we confess our trespass to one another, we are healed. We're made right. This is, the, this is the whole point of these last two messages is you have been created on purpose with a purpose. And in that purpose, we are called to destroy the works of the enemy. I'm not talking politely. Destroy the works of the enemy. We were talking about this before service. I don't know if you saw the video. There's a lot of carjackings happening lately. It's, I saw this the other day on Facebook too. It's on an overpass and this car just comes to a stop and three guys jump out to carjack this big truck. And the guy in the big truck's like, mm, never mind. And he just puts it in drive and just literally runs the other car down the entire on-ramp. Just busts the thing all up. It's, nope, you're not carjacking me. It's not going to happen. <laughs> the enemy is looking to sidetrack you, carjack you, rob from you, steal from you, and destroy you. And it's about time that we start realizing that we're not just pushovers for the devil. We start realizing that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world and I have authority and I'm a weapon and he better think twice before he messes with me or my family. If we had more people walking around like that, I have a feeling the entire parish would begin to feel different. Why? Because he had to think twice before he started doing things. Because there is an enemy. 
And it's not the person who looks different than you, sounds different than you, talks different than you, votes different than you, is a different skin color than you, is a different gender than you. No, no, that's not the enemy. The enemy lost 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, and he's just trying to deceive as many people as he can into thinking that he hasn't. He's defeated. And Jesus has given that victory to you and I. So sex trafficking loses to Jesus. Racism loses to Jesus. Divorce loses to Jesus. Why? Because that is not what he came to do. That is not what's represented in his kingdom. And if I'm going to be an ambassador of his kingdom, then I'm going to have authority over those things. And I'm not going to do that by coming to church, sitting in a chair, and posting a good Facebook status. I'm going to do it by recognizing what he's called me to do and who he's called me to be and walking that thing out every day to the best of my ability. Why? Because I'm a weapon. And i got to be prepped and ready. Bow your heads this morning.